Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce, and this is going to be really exciting. We're going to talk about Jean Shaw and the great reading debate, and I have a paragraph from one of my education weeks, and we're going to get started. In 1967, one of the most prominent researchers in reading instruction, Jean H. Shaw, analyzed the controversy that was then raging in the field in an influential book called The Great Debate. Now, there are some that believe in the advocates of phonics who stress the importance of teaching the relationships between letters and sounds and those of whole language methodology, literacy-based, who believe children should be taught reading by reading whole text. Hmm. So we're going to talk about that right now, and Dr. Caruto is here. Hi, good morning, and how are you doing? <laughs> I'm well, friend. Thank you. Good morning. So... I have a statement that she made, but basically, how would you define the great reading debate? And I can't wait to hear about your interview with her. That must have been exciting. Yes, yes. Um, well, let me answer your first question. Um, how would I define the great debate? Well, I'll define it as uh, Jean Shaw did in her book, which is um, how should one teach reading? How should reading be taught? Should be should it be taught as a um, uh, at the, using the look say method, uh, mm-hmm. which is also sometimes just called memorization, and or other or phonics. So it was it was whole word versus phonics. That was the great debate that mm-hmm. Jean Shaw wrote the entire book about. Um, let me see. And uh, your second question was, uh, did you even ask me? No, oh, yeah, the interview. The interview. Yeah, did you want me to tell you about that interview now with Gene Shaw, uh, Brent? Yep, that must have been exciting. Oh. It was, I had to read the book, actually, by the way. I'm sorry? I had to read the book, by the way. <laughs> it was you one of my one, reading sure. classes. I had to read one. I had to read it. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, clearly it's a, it's a book that anyone who's a uh, reading specialist as uh, are you, uh, should, should should has to read. It's a must read. In any case, it was 1982, and I was just finishing up my doctoral degree in uh, in reading slash psycholinguistics at uh, Hofstra University. Um, my uh, dissertation mentor was a, a fellow named H. Allen Robinson. Uh, I picked him because he was the hardest. And he was the, uh, actually, he was the, the best known of the faculty. He was the president of the International Reading Association. And I, was, I finished my dissertation. I finished my, I, I passed my defense, my oral defense. And all of a sudden, I had a call from um, 
Dr. Robinson. He said, George, we're having a, uh, a group coming to Havistrat tomorrow. Uh, actually, they're going to spend all week, but tomorrow is the, uh, the day that I have in mind for them to meet with some graduate students and doctoral students. I said, oh, okay. He said, yeah, we picked, uh, we picked up three for them, three or four for them to uh, interview, and you're one of them. So I said, oh, thank you very much. I, I consider it an honor. And uh, he said, yeah, and uh, the four people on the committee are, and he said the names. I knew three of the four, but the one that um, was the most famous was Jean Shaw from Harvard University. Mm-hmm. And um, Jean Shaw was going to be interviewing me. So... I was uh, I was delighted. I was thrilled, and uh, I did exactly what you just said uh, a few minutes ago. I, I but I reread I reread the book in preparation for the interview. I had read it uh, at least twice before, but anyway, uh, so I was all set, and we we actually it was an important interview because we got the president the president of Hofstra University's office to conduct this interview. So I knew it was, oh, wow. it was a biggie. Yeah, I knew it was a big deal. When you get those uh, those soft cushion chairs and the uh, all the diplomas on the wall, you know this is a biggie. And uh, anyway, she came in, she walked in, she's a delightful little woman, and we made some small talk. Not much, a little bit. She was very personable, very sweet. And um, next thing you know, I, now friend, she's coming to, they're coming to uh, re-certify uh, the doctoral program in reading at Hofstra. So, and I'm chosen to be an interviewee, so I'm assuming she's going to be asking me about the program. Does that make sense? Yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And so I was was all set, and she started out like this. Well, you're a man, okay. Thank you. It was nice chatting with you a little bit, getting to know you. Now, let's start with this. What do you think? What do do you think about it? Oh, well. (laughs) I I think yeah, I, I thought that was a little ambiguous. I said, Fred, I said uh, I'm sorry. I said, uh, Dr. Shaw, what do I think about it? He said, yeah, uh, young man, the great debate. Where do you stand on learning to read the great debate, which, of course, is, is her book? So I looked at her and I smiled. And I, at the time, I was much, uh, how shall I say, fast, quicker on my feet than I am now. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, I managed to say, well, Dr. Lewis, I think it was really a, uh, a, it's a classic in the field of literacy, and uh, I think it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful text. No, 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 no. I, I want to know, where do you stand? And so I told her. Yeah, I, and it was hard because uh, she was looking, to, she wanted to either, I was either whole word which everybody confuses, by the way, with not not then, but, oh, I don't know, 30 years later, 40 years later, with uh, mm. with a whole language, and they're not, they're not the same at all. But anyway, she uh, wants to know how it's whole word or how it's phonic. So I, this, the, the brain was cranking, so the best answer I could come up with was, well, Dr. Schultz is very honest with you. I really think you, you, you asked the wrong question in your book. <laughs> no, 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 that didn't enamor me so too much. She went from being very smiley to, hmm, so, well, um, okay. Uh, well, you want to expand on that a bit? I said, sure. I said, you basically were asking in the book, how should the debate is that we teach students to read um, whole, uh, whole word 
memorization or phonics. And in my opinion, everything I've learned about reading through my doctoral work, through my through my experience teaching reading over the past, uh, by that point probably was uh, 20 years, uh, I said, um, what I've learned is that uh, it's neither one or the other that proficient readers learn how to flexibly use all three of the language cueing systems, the graphophonics, the semantic, and the syntactic. And that's not my opinion. That's uh, someone much brighter than me, uh, uh, a, a, a linguist uh, that we're all uh, familiar with. And uh, I, I said Chomsky pointed that out uh, in his book, Syntactic Structures, in the 1930s. So in the uh, I really think that students should learn how to use all three. And gramophonics is phonics. So I'm not at all uh, uh, putting phonics aside or, or downgrading it. But it's one of the three. And they also must learn how to use syntax and semantics with the meaning. Uh, they have to use all three. It's not, it's not one or the other. And they do become whole word readers by becoming automatic, and they do that by doing a lot of reading. And that was my, my kind of long-winded answer. And then we went kind of around and around and around. And it, it, it was, wasn't at all a heated discussion. And she was, uh, she was smiling, and we, uh, she, she did agree with some of my points. Uh, she disagreed with others. Uh, basically, Jean Scholl's stance was that you learn to read initially by phonics. She was really, I realize that, but she was really uh, initially that you, you that the phonics was very important in the beginning grades. But she also believed that the students should read uh, books with the repetitive language: look, 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 see Jack run, 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 see Sally run, 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 run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so she was kind of uh, how shall we say? She just got to be twist in between. Uh, and it was an interesting interview. It ended well. I, I thought she gave me a big handshake. She said, well, obviously Hofstra uh, has uh, prepared you well uh, for, for uh, your career in uh, in reading. And uh, and it was, it was delightful talking with you. And uh, I got a call that night from Alan Robinson, and it was a one-word phone call. I answered the phone. I said, George? I said, uh-huh. He said, George. I said, what? George. I knew by the way his tone is. His report from Dean must not have been that good, but he, he did say. He did, I said, Alan, I couldn't, I couldn't agree that what you were saying. He said, Well, George, he said, you know what? It was fine. It was fine. It, I, I'm not going to say it was wonderful, but it was fine. He really found you to be uh, uh, stimulating. He found you to be knowledgeable. He found that she disagreed with you. Uh, more than a little bit, but uh, don't worry about it. The other three people did well. Our pro- program is recertified. <laughs> that, that that was it in a nutshell, right? What would have happened if she didn't? Then you wouldn't have gotten your doctoral degree? No, I had my doctoral degree. I, the, I know, I, but she wouldn't have certified you. It would, she, she could have given them a hard time. She could have given them a hard time, but yeah. to be honest with you... At that point, I was I was I was being I, I don't know. Sometimes when you come to uh, uh, a fork in the road like that, uh, mm-hmm. at least as uh, literature people, as uh, I share with my interviewer, uh, with you, uh, 
think that literature comes to mind. And when she asked me that question and I smiled, that smile was nothing more than a uh, <laughs> buying me a little time. Uh, and uh, what came to mind was two roads diverge in a yellow wood and there a lonely traveler I stood. Yes, so the Robert Frost poem, The Road Let mm-hmm. Travel By. So I was in no way going to say, answer Franchelle uh, in a way just to make her happy. I gave her an honest, an honest answer. And to be honest with you, if I would have, if I were asked by, I, I don't even know if Gene Shaw was still alive, but if I were to ask, I'd be asked that same question today, I would answer in exactly the same manner. Yeah, I, c- I can imagine. I took my reading license, and the written part was one thing, but the interview part, I was warned that you got to get a feel of what they want to hear because you sort of had to agree with them. Yeah. And I answered my own way. And they questioned me, and I said, well, you know, I could disagree with you, which I'm going to. This is whatever. I was lucky that I pa- they They said when I looked out, they said, you really know your stuff. So I knew right. I passed. But they don't want to know. Don't. So yeah. here's my next question. No. Sure. Jean Shaw, I mean, I had to read The Great Debate. for I don't remember which class. Was it Andrea Sledge or Dr. Loy or somebody made me memorize it? So, and I when I learned to read, when which was I don't even remember, just yesterday, they only use sight. I don't remember mm-hmm. learning phonics at all until I started to teach phonics when I first started, and then they used Bank Street, so that was mm-hmm. just strictly sight, and then the year after they used Bank Street and switched to Lippincott. Now that mm-hmm. was, and I happen to like Lippincott, except that you get you should skip the first five. Lessons, because you don't need to go out, uh, uh, forget it. So mm-hmm. the question is, how do you teach, How do, what is the right way to teach decoding skills? And she said, um, what is the right way to start youngsters on writing letters, sound, sound blending? What is the right way to begin? If there's a new teacher that's just starting out, how do you explain to them the right way to teach phonics? Because I don't think they know. Using the new program, forget it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's a good point. I, I, my my heart goes out to these uh, these new teachers because they're they're really yeah uh, they're caught between and between and this uh, every three years we have something new that that comes. Uh, hey, I I I've come to call this a fad fadism in reading education, you know. But anyway, to answer your question, there are three distinct ways of teaching phonics. And this is not Kabuto. You can read this in any one of uh, 50 uh, reading textbooks. The three ways are letter-by-letter phonics, uh, rule-based phonics, or clustering phonics. Okay? And mm-hmm. of the th- that, those are the three ways of teaching phonics. In fact, that would have been a better debate, I think, than the other one. Because mm-hmm. you have to teach phonics. It's one of the three queuing systems in language. Mm-hmm. Okay? The question should have been, I think, and I, I did say this in my interview with, uh, uh, with Gene Shaw, by the way. I did. How should you teach phonics? Should we teach students letter by letter? Fact. Um, or should we teach them clustering phonics? That would be. Okay? Or should we teach them rule-based phonics? And that would be, okay, boys and girls, let's look at this word. It has starts with a 
consonant F, right? We all know that. It has an A and it has a T. And we know the rule. We have a, a one-syllable word that has a consonant, a vowel, and a consonant. The vowel will be short, which means it does not say its name. All right? Does that make sense, boys and girls? And at that point, even the kids who came into school already reading were like, what? That that has to be the most confusing thing in the world. So of the Mm -hmm. three ways, friends, in my opinion, and I've I've actually, this isn't just uh, uh, hypothetical, this isn't just just academic talk. I've done this uh, for, I don't know, 40 years working with students, um, maybe more, 50. For me, in my opinion, the clustering way of teaching phonics is the best. In terms of teaching phonics, I didn't say teaching reading, and teaching that one aspect of phonics of the three human system. And the reason simply is, think about it. Well, let's go to a, a different one. Um, carpet. K-R-S. Carpet. Okay. Uh, let's do it. That's clustering. Let's do it letter by letter. Whoa, that is difficult to put together, is it not? Right? And uh, even if I went to a three-syllable word, uh, mat, ma-at. Okay, not too bad, but ma-at is a lot easier. So the three oh, yeah. ways of teaching phonics, yeah, the three ways of teaching phonics, friends, or facilitating students use of the graphophonic hearing system to sound more... Uh, Professorial, uh, I, I would def, I have, and I, I absolutely believe that the clustering method is the best. And to be honest with you, the speech and language people agree with me. I'm sorry, they don't agree with me. I agree with them because the speech and language people tell us is the smallest phonological unit that the human ear can actually discern is the syllable. We don't hear individual sounds. We hear syllables. Isn't that interesting? It, it does. As a matter of fact, when I used um, Lippincott and I changed from sight to sound, I, like actually they said you're supposed to spend a week on asking children if they have the a. Uh, uh, I said forget that. I'm not doing it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But they right. did do it that way. This first word, the first was am, which is a word, and I showed them how to put the consonant in front of it. And in about 10 minutes, they were reading the story and understanding it. The other thing sure. is that I, they did add all those sounds. The problem was that they didn't stress comprehension. They only right. stressed reading the words and sounding them out. So, of course, you know me. I had to come up with my own brand of making sure they understood and created stories and, and sentences using the lessons in the book. But the kids that did Lippincott, you had, they had to be really smart, seriously. I mean, yeah. if they had a, a, an auditory discrimination problem, well, they didn't understand the point, and they, I, it was first grade, so they didn't have a chance to get get the wrong instruction. <laughs> they had me; they were stuck. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I taught the first year. I taught first grade. I was in shell shock. I had to use lip, I had to use um, in the city, and all those. Mm-hmm. By the time I got done, they were reading the fourth grade book. There was no problem. Yeah, I just made yeah. it my own way. But phonics is, phonics is like subjective to different opinions. And I know that a lot of the reading teachers in my school did exactly that. Okay, we're going to do our words. We're going to do our Are you for real? You've got to be kidding me. 
Right, right. So, Rosie, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Fran, and that is when you said it, it, if we, we're doing phonics, either, whichever, whichever of the three one chooses, uh, the worst one, in my opinion, is rule-based rule yeah. phonics because those, yeah. those rules are terribly esoteric. They're terribly difficult. And, they fact, don't you know, need to know those. <laughs> so we, have, we have 158 phonic rules, and of the 158 of them, it's only only half of them work fifty uh, percent of the time. And if you ask any mm-hmm. any adult or any or ask any adult to give you three phonic rules, they probably can name I before E except after which is a, a spelling rule, not a phonic rule. But that's about it. Uh, and kids don't learn rules, so that, that's ridiculous. But the point you made is, I think, uh, an excellent point, and that is that. It, whatever it, whatever they're doing in terms of learning to read, beginning uh, reading acquisition, it has to be has to be meaning based. Meaning right. can't be secondary. Okay, and uh, someone who both of us are uh, dearly acquainted with, not personally of course, but uh, Edmund Burke Huey, who uh, wrote mm-hmm. the Psychology and Pedagogy of Reading in 1903. Okay, he made that point clearly. Meaning, meaning, meaning. In fact, books that sounded like this, then, then and then ran, then and then ran to the tan van, then and then ran to the tan van to get the... Edinburgh Hugh actually in 1903 they had books just like that, um, and they had other books also, but he, he, he referred to that as sentence hash. Sentence mm. hash. And he said, how dare we expose children to this sentence hash if not to convince them that reading is totally a meaningless activity. Kind of interesting. Powerful, powerful statement. I, I agree because I watched when I was taking my reading masters, so I, I wanted to get an idea of what other people were doing. So I said, mm-hmm. I'm taking my masters in reading. Can I watch you teach reading? And I walked mm-hmm. around and I realized that they, very few of them knew what they were doing. And they were mm-hmm. focused on the uh, reader and the questions. I said, you've got to go past what's on the page in order to get them to really understand what they're reading. And you're sitting there like you're dying and you have to get excited when you're teaching a reading lesson, which was never my problem because I, cracking them up was fine. But, right. I mean, teaching decoding skills and Frank Smith, of course, structural analysis, context clues, I have... For, um, Edmund Burke on one shelf, and they have Frank Smith on the other. I, mm-hmm. I actually keep them, and yeah. because because when I do a book review, I get, how come you understand what we're talking about and nobody else does? I said you can blame it on my reading masters. Yeah, what can I say? Yeah, yeah. And if, so, you, if you have Edmund Burke Huey on one uh, on one shelf, and right next to him Frank Smith, you actually yeah. have uh, Huey's protege, not knowing it, of course. Um, yeah, 50 years later, but Frank Smith's book, uh, 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 new Learning one. to Read, uh, A Psycholinguistic Analysis of Learning to Read, is mm-hmm. comes right from, from the things that Huey said. Uh, amazing. Well, now we have the, uh, the Jeannie Shaw probably wrote the stages of reading, the five stages of reading. I don't know if we yeah. have, I have it in front of me. It says stage zero, pre-reading. Approximately birth age, birth to age six in this stage, children play read by reading to. They have begun to understand their books contain words that provide meaning. 
They may read books or memory, start demonstrating book handling skills, and begin writing the alphabet. That's stage one. Do you agree with that? I mean, I asked the other day how my four-year-old and five-year-old niece is learning, and I got upset when they told me that they were using the other method, which is not good. Um, to be honest with you, friend, my best answer to that question is it is so idiosyncratic, it's unbelievable. There are some mm. kids who do go through stage one as shoulders present, but there are other kids, there are other children I know because I... I learned by doing research in this area. There are some children, you might have probably were one of them, who came to school already reading. Yeah. Way past the level one right at the beginning. You didn't even need that, do you say? So these these are the things that when we talk about reading, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's going to give you a bad analogy, but it's the best one I can come up with at the moment. But um, it, it, it would be almost like we tell doctors, okay, here's one medicine, and it's called blah, 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 and, uh, penicillin, and uh, whatever um, whatever ills people come to your office with, this is what you give them. Well, then that's ludicrous, right? And, but that's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, that's kind of what we do with prescriptive reading instruction. Everybody gets the same thing, regardless of where they are, you see? So... Um, uh, with, with stage one, by, by the way, that, that pretend reading, uh, oh, I, one of my former graduate students, um, uh, she went on to uh, get her PhD, and when she did, she called me and they asked, allowed me to sit on her, her committee, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, basically what she uh, looked at was uh, the influence of parents reading to children, how critically important that was. And I learned a new word as I was listening to her uh, defend her dissertation. And we used to call it pretend reading, but in her book, mm-hmm. uh, her dissertation, uh, she, the, the the most recent research, and this is probably, uh, I don't know, 30 years ago, uh, they call them reenactment, reenactment. And I like that. Because that pretend reading gives it kind of a, uh, mm. I, I'm not real, there's something artificial about it, yeah? Uh a reenactment. In other words, the the, the youngster might hear a book read to him, a book read to him, or a book, and then he or she will go through it, turning the pages, okay, and he will reenact the word in his or her own words. Now that's not pretend reading. That's pretending it it has mm. too much of a uh, I think a, a negative sound to it. It, it, it. The youngster is reenacting that story based upon his or her remembering the the most salient points of the story and reenacting it in his or her own words. Reenactments are the stage right before actual reading, okay? So uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know if I answered that question, but I, I think that the uh, – whenever I hear about these stages, uh, they, they it's kind of scary to me because yeah. I, I, just, I just see them as – so incredibly idiosyncratic, um, but but again, there's no doubt about it. Early readers, natural readers, people come to school already reading. Uh, they've been read to considerably by their caregivers, their parents, and the first thing that they read is environmental print. Huh? The bus stop, Dell, uh, uh, Starbucks, and then nowadays, right? They they read environmental print because it's tied to a context. 
if, if they see someone's name Starbuck on the mailbox, they're not going to read it because it's out of contact. So there's no doubt about it. Reading environmental print, being read to, um, are the, the, in my opinion, the absolute best way to begin uh, children on their road to becoming uh, literate. You know what bothers me the most is that they come into, they, I had first grade the first year I was in shell shock because I took sixth grade for three years and I was very happy. So I had uh-huh. to figure out a way to not put me to sleep, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then when I read the book, I go, oh, my God, this is so boring. I have to make it a little bit more interesting. But kids go into reading groups in every single grade, and they're automatically labeled as on level, below level, above level. And I don't find that, and even when I taught, that the books that they were given, the readers, were really necessary, that they could have read anything, could have read stories, storybooks, fairy tales, anything. And then I'm I'm looking at the five stages of reading, and she says confirmation and fluency, ranges seven to eight. Well, maybe a child that's five to six can do that also, as my first graders learned. So why do they label it according to age as to what they think kids could learn? Because if a child is an, is a, a natural reader, which I had a few that was really cool, that that's mm-hmm. great. But I wonder today, seriously, with what's going on, and, and I read a lot about education, I wonder if parents even sit with the, listen to the kids to read or even tell them to read at this point, or even know my if they can is, read. My guess is far less, Fran. Uh, I shouldn't say my guess. There's a good amount of research that parents spend far less time with children uh, uh, for parents spend far less time reading to their children than they had 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, yeah. The, the, number one, number one, it's hard to read to the kid when he's on his cell phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, I don't want to knock social media and technology, but I've read some, some very interesting, some very interesting studies about um, the uh, deleterious effects of uh, of cell phones on on uh, reading mm. and learning. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, there's some huge advantages. I mean, God, you, you jump into Google and you find out what uh, what you didn't know about a particular uh, concept being taught. But the the the, the effect on the, the negative effects on attention concentration span, unbelievable, unbelievable. And I think we're just starting to, to, to find this out. But um, mm-hmm. I, I like your point about the, I, I think it's a super, a superb point about students do not move through those stages the same. And again, it's until teachers really, really become much more knowledgeable than they are, mm-hmm. they're going to just follow. They're going to just follow the stages because that's what they they know. Um, I, I have yet to see. Um, any changes uh, in a, uh, I just taught a college for the first time to finish a course, and uh, the undergraduate students majoring in elementary education are required to take in a baccalaureate program of 123 credits, six credits in the teaching of reading. In my opinion, why are we not talking about this? Uh, I mean, wait, I'm talking about in the field, right? Uh, this is ridiculous. Are those 123 credits, are, are there not two or three other courses that we can do away with it and allow them to have 9, 12, 15? My guess is for your master's degree in reading, you had to have 
18 at least, 21, 24. And uh, it, 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 in my view, I, I hear so little about the knowledge base of the teacher. In fact, it, the, the science of reading, new fat, the science of reading, mm. they talk so much about professional development. Well, professional development is nice. I know I, I did. I must have done, oh, let me, I, I know I did at least four, 40, 40 school districts in uh, Nassau and Suffolk County professional development. And I like to think that uh, in many cases they invited me back because they thought that, that the teachers were learning something. But I, I then what happened was New York State got brilliant and they decided to give teachers credit for professional development and and the state would the state would pay for this professional development. So what would happen was what happened was the school district were no longer looking for a Caruto who would charge X, mm. Y or Z and really put the teachers up to come through. But I'd like to think really give them something substantive. They they were getting credit for you know, cutting and pasting nonsense things, and 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 it became a, an incredible, incredible, uh, as I say, uh, uh, it was a travesty. It was a travesty, and it went on for about 15 years, and finally they did away with it. These were were moving up the the ladder on their their uh, the pay scale by taking these by taking these very very, if I may. Uh, I was going to say watered down, but that would be too kind. But very, very uh, uh, lacking of substance courses, some of which had nothing mm. to do with reading at all. So uh, I, I really don't think we should talk about professional development as much as put it in the curriculum, put it in the teacher preparation curriculum at our colleges and universities. Don't have six credits in reading, nine credits. Have 15, 18, 21 at least for elementary school teachers, no doubt about it. And I'd love for administrators to have that, too. Well, the administrators in my school, to be honest, when I first started, the um, assistant principal was pretty knowledgeable in teaching lower-grade reading. But when I taught, when I did the reading lab, when I finally got my master's and freedom from the classroom, I was able to teach kids at my own rate, however I wanted. But the assistant principal was a reading specialist, so he mm-hmm. would come in and he would you know, say, "That's fantastic," and then he would say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go be the dean for today. I'm gonna take over your group, and I want you to kill him." I go, "What are you doing?" And he showed me different strategies for word recognition and stuff like that. But I valued mm-hmm. his opinion. But what is wrong with? I mean, I taught sixth grade. I loved it, and I taught lower grades, and I taught fifth grade reading, and I didn't use the reader. I brought in novels. I brought in To Kill a Mockingbird. I brought in, I got in trouble for that. I brought in um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Why does it have to be readers? Why can't it be meaningful reading? And I let the kids pick what they wanted. I said, I don't mind. And I had to go buy the books, 20 of them. Yeah. Or 15. Yeah. And it was worth it. Because when I walked into a class to teach reading, or they came down for reading, nobody ever said, oh, oh, I have to be here. They said, we wish we could come every day. And that Uh, was probably... That was the best accolade I, I could possibly have. And as you remember, there was one teacher that threatened them and suspended them from reading, and they walked out and said, you can't do that because we're going anyway. And they did. Yeah. They, yeah. they didn't care. Just they yeah. didn't care. So what's yeah. wrong with 
doing reading instruction with meaningful reading? Why does it have to be a reader that will put you to sleep? And if you're well, doing the reader, you have yeah. to you get a little, little excited and get them to want to understand what they read rather than say to them, read the first paragraph, read the next one. They don't even ask comprehension questions. So how do you know they're going to even understand or want to understand? Right. Right. Well, you, the the answer to that question is, Ren, and I think both of us know uh, know the answer is is the uh, the, uh, the 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 power of the the power of the purse, money. Uh, these publishing companies, Macmillan, McGraw-Hill, Lipica, they every time that every five, six, seven years they reinvent the the, the reading program. Or they mm. just, they revise their programs, and the school district has to purchase the, the new ones if they're in the contract. Uh, and it, it, it's ridiculous. In fact, um, the the uh, this is I, I probably in one of our many talks I probably mentioned the the first grade studies that were done in 1967, uh, which is when the the the, uh, the great debate came out in 67, and. Um, uh, the, the government got involved. I suppose I think Sputnik might have gotten mm-hmm. Was that a big year? Yeah. And we, we got nervous because the, the Russians were beating us into winning the space race. So the government gave a ton of money, and they, they did the first grade studies, and they went to the schools that did Bonnick. They went to schools that did uh, Whole Word. They went to schools that, and this, these were primarily down south, and... Um, yeah, down south and and out west, where they they really didn't have reading programs because they couldn't afford them. They had they had uh, books. They, they had books, books, books. Okay, not programs, just books. And uh, I'm, I'm saying that sarcastically. That's what I'm changing my voice. But uh, and they there was a longitudinal study. I think it was two or three years. Uh, Dykstra was involved. Dean Shaw uh, headed it up for the U.S. Office of Education. And then they they they. They had uh, the computers at the time with the, the punch holes and the, uh, the cards going in them. And they been very scientific. At the end of two years, they found that it looked like between the phonics, the uh, 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 basically the, uh, the phonics, the uh, meaning-based or linguistic, and the mm-hmm. – uh, 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 I'm sorry – and the schools that didn't have any reading – they all, on average, had the same progress at the end of the year. Okay, I'm talking about uh, that individual students, but uh, the the program resulted in, if you want to look at the correlation that way. So it looked like they were trying to find the best reading program, yeah. And so they they fired the statistics uh, person. They got someone else to come in, and he found something interesting. He found that there was something that looked like it accounted for more significant than uh, one would expect by chance. That, that statistical talk for he found something that looks like it, it made a difference. And I love this. The teacher variable. It seems as though over the two years, some teachers who actually moved from one district to another where they changed uh, the they were, it might have been in a phonics school, they went into a whole word school. It seems that the mm. still did much better. That became, in my opinion, that that's a study that I cite all the time from the first grade studies in 1967. That that became the mantra for 
the teacher, the teacher's knowledge base, the teacher's intuition, the teacher's, and you're a perfect exemplar of this, the teacher's love of books, okay? Teachers should be exemplars of literacy. And that, and, and the knowledge base. And sometimes teachers didn't need the courses. Some of them just had an intuitive uh, uh, understanding of how to do it, how to teach reading. And uh, mm-hmm. so what came out of that study was we really, really, really have to invest more in teachers. Did we do that? No, unfortunately not. We we love to cite that program, but it's still six to nine credits. Find me, find me a undergraduate program in in elementary ed in the United States where they require more than fifteen credits, and I will be absolutely shocked. On average, it's it's six to nine, which is which is ludicrous. Um, uh, by the way, I didn't mention before when we were talking about learning to read the Great Debate. Well, the book that they had that was the impetus for Gene Shaw writing that book was Rudolf Flesch's book in 1955. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, why Johnny can read and what you can do about it. Uh, Rudolf Flesch, interestingly enough, was a uh, uh, Austrian uh, 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 immigrant. He came here uh, before things got terrible over there. And uh, he actually had a degree in law uh, 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 from his native country. And then he came here and he had a degree in library science. And he was a very bright guy. And basically his book was Johnny Can Read. And today we would would be a little more culturally uh, uh, correct and say why Johnny slash Jill Can Read. Uh, uh, And his thesis was, we can't read because we don't teach phonics. We've dropped the teaching of phonics because in 55, the, the most popular reading program was uh, the whole word program, okay, memorization. Mm-hmm. And that 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 book had a, that book was on the, well, have, I'm not sure the New York Times, but it might have been. I was uh, 34 weeks on the bestseller list, and uh, it, it really had an impact on education, and we did this huge shift to phonics, uh, which is, not a problem, but the problem is that if you forget about semantics and if you forget about meaning, you got a real big problem. Friend, if I may, last thing, and then I'm going to turn it back to you. But you mentioned uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, yeah, I got I got in trouble for that with the sixth grade class because they were IGC. They were intellectually so gifted that the lowest uh-huh. reading score. Because back then they didn't do one, two, three, four. Um, I don't know why. They basically did, but the kids had reading scores of like 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. That's how smart they uh-huh. were. So uh-huh. I, I looked at them and I said, I'm not going to give you a reader. You don't need that. So I brought in Sherlock right. Holmes short stories, which they love and they rewrote. We brought right. in O'Henry's short stories and de Maupassant and stuff like that. They still remind me that because I see them once in a while. And right. I, I turned around and I said, oh, well, what do your parents think about To Kill a Mockingbird? Because I knew it was controversial. There was no problem. So I bought a whole bunch, and I got in trouble with the principal. He said, you can't teach that. I said, too late. I did. I did the yeah. trial from the point of view of all black people in the jury and a white defendant and a black defendant and an all-white jury. And it was interesting. These kids were really scary smart, and they loved it. So I said, you know, maybe I'll do um, – Catch twenty two or something. We yeah. we did we did the short stories, and when I did uh, Sherlock Holmes and explained, and they explained to me the endings, I said, "Well, how would you write it? What would you do?" And they did. They rewrote them. Uh, yeah. They they were they were a challenge. 
And then when I taught yeah. first grade, I found out the day, first day of school I was teaching first grade. I'm going, what do you do? I have no idea. And I actually walked in and said to these poor little seven, six-year-olds, you just became 12. If you think I'm going to talk to you like you're six, <laughs> think again. You will right. learn as well as my sixth graders did, and by the time I get done at the end of the day, you will be reading 200 words because I said so. And they did. They just looked at me like right. she's crazy. They were. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea. I had no training, nothing. But before right. I forget, t- tomorrow, psychotherapist Dennis Palumbo will be here with Teenage Anxiety and Stress. On the 17th, mm-hmm. the author of Girl Among Crows. On the 18th, another powerful about substance and drug abuse, Girl on Trial. The 22nd, um, I have January Corpse. On the 24th, this is really an honor. The former trade, com- former Chief Justice of the Trade Commission, um, Steve, Stephen Granger will be here with his book, Secret Deceit. He found me. I didn't uh, find him. Yeah, uh, seriously. Um, Peter James. And on the 31st, I hope she's well, the story, the legacy. And it's also about mental illness and child abuse. It's really good. And that's just some of January because February, you have no idea. So <laughs> good, teaching good. reading... Is a, is a challenge. I know that. Yeah. And different people have different ways of doing it. And the problem is is that I, I've been listening to my, the teachers in my school because I butt in a lot to find out what they're doing. And they're sort of really doing like a regimented program using whatever the guidelines are from the science of reading, whatever else they may be using. I said, well, why don't you bring in this or why don't you bring in that? Well, we're not supposed to. I said, really? And they're using decodable readers. Could you cry? Right. I mean, really, right. could you cry? Yeah. Well, and I that, said, that, you're that, not going to learn. And she says to me, she has special ed, grade one and two, and some kindergarten yeah. kids. Well, they're not going to learn. I said, if you have an attitude like that, no one's going to learn. I said, put them on Zoom, and I'll show you how fast they can learn. Right. She, and probably probably worse yet, friend, by the time they're in second grade, uh, and they haven't yeah. really gotten close to mastery in terms of reading, then what happens is they get an IEP that says that everything can be read to them. And after mm-hmm. that, they're going to... When everything is read to them, there's no... That, that takes away... The, in my in my, uh, my, my my opinion, my humble opinion, uh, well, once we do that, there's absolutely no motivation for the kids to learn to read. There's the, the, teachers, the teachers' expectations are... Are nil because uh, he'll mm-hmm. just get audible books, you know. Uh, but uh, before I forget, I want to just go back to a second to uh, um, uh, you were talking about. Uh, oh, let me, oh, to uh, Jed, uh, who uh, uh, Jed, who is uh, learning to read on her, her dad's lap. Who, uh, I'm, I'm losing the title of the book at the moment. Um, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, one of the books, one of the books you mentioned. Um, Oh, uh, it will it will come to me. And she, and I read she To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. We did read um, Sherlock Holmes and L. Henry and De Maupassant and yeah. anything else yeah. I could sneak in without anybody looking and finding out I was doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so when you said To Kill a Mockingbird, that that grabbed me because in To Kill a Mockingbird, I reread that yeah. many times, and I use that book a lot when I talk about natural readers because Jed, the character who used to sit on her. Um, Father's knee, and and he would read the the paper, and she would he would follow she would follow along. He put his hands under the line as he was reading. 
Well, she got into uh, into second grade, and um, the teacher went around the room calling on children to read. There was stumbling and fumbling. But then she came to Jed, and she kind of went right through it. So the teacher said, hmm. And then she gave her the more difficult second grade reader. She whipped right through that. Then she gave her a third grade reader. And she whipped through, you know, a couple of paragraphs through that. And at this point, her, as the book as the, as the book says, her brow was furrowed. She looked more than a little unhappy. She called her up to her desk and said, Jed, who told you to read? She said, no, no nobody. Nobody's going to. Jed, you weren't born reading. You're reading. She was. Well, I I I sit on I sit on uh, I, I'm a and and he reads he reads the Mobile Register and uh, mm. I, I don't know I I he did that from when I as long as I could remember and then all of a sudden I could do it and she said well would you please tell him to stop doing that that is going to do unbelievable harm to your learning to read so I'd like him to stop that right now Brent unbelievable so I don't That's- understand. I don't understand why. I mean, I've gone into other classrooms, too, and why is it that they, they don't give them, if you're going to read a novel like To Kill a Mockingbird, or you're going to read any novel or any short stories, why don't, why don't, the, doesn't, why don't the children have the book in their hand so yeah. that they could participate and find the answers? I'm finding that a lot of the teachers and a lot of the schools are reading the book to the children and not asking questions. They'll say, okay, we're going to read this. Um, I think it was Johnny Tremaine that one of my, my friend's daughter read in class, and I said, does, does she have the book? Yeah, but the teacher said to put the book away, he's going to read it. But does he ask questions? No, he just reads the book. What's, yeah. what's the point? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, I, I, I've had some um, experience with this with some children I know very well. Uh, and uh, and they'll tell me, how, how's your English class going? Oh, yeah, it's all right, but not too... You don't like it. All she does is read to us. She just reads out loud the book. I mean, I'm in fifth grade. I could read the book myself. She goes, mm-hmm. and and I said, okay. But then I'm, I'm sure you get to discuss it. No, because by the time she's finished, the the the, the forty minute period is over. Okay, but I guess the next day you get to discuss it. All. What about writing about it? You get to to write about that which you read, where you connect mm-hmm. your reading and writing, connecting the four languages. No, we do very little writing. Uh, it, this, in my view, friend, this is just, you know, it, this is, we get so tied up with coming up with newfangled uh, quasi-scientific notions like the science of reading that we really mm. forget about the, the basics. And uh, to get back to, uh, if I may, to our, our topic for today, which was uh, the learning to read the great debate, by the way, in my, if it hasn't come across, I'm sure it has, in my view, we still have the same debate, and we should never have the same debate. You have to teach phonics. Should you also teach whole words? You don't have to teach mm-hmm. whole words. No. Children, children by reading, and, they, and when they can't get a word like caught or a word like talk or a word like you that are not sound audible, simply... Tell them. Simply tell them. You know, don't put them on a sight word card. Simply tell them, or put them in a sentence on a on a on a flash card where the sentence determines the word, so they can use context clues. My mother was talking to daddy. She said that word "talking" becomes a lot easier to read in context. So, 
in terms of the great debate, oh, it's still going on, and oh, unfortunately, I hate to be I hate to be so negative about this, but it's going to continue going on until we really, really start investing in teachers, teacher knowledge base, and and we stop pushing programs. I I I, I would get around at conferences. Where I would say to teachers, uh, excuse me, uh, or teacher would say to me, "Oh, Dr. Willis, I just want to let you know before I and do your uh, mm-hmm. your workshop, uh, I'm I'm OG. I, I'm just, excuse me, OG. You know, I'm yeah. Owen Gillingham. I'm Wilson. Uh, I'm hooked on reading. I'm hooked on fun. I, you know, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. The, oh, I the, agree. The, 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 the debate revisited. The debate revisited. Unfortunately, we have not. Uh, come up with a solution because there is no solution other than that which you said, bring in good books, have them read books. I don't care if they're reading them on their on their uh, their laptops, uh, as long as they're reading print and uh, and they're good books. Uh, that's the best way to and, and and by the way, if I may, you asked me to before then I didn't give you a good answer. But the, in my opinion I love, love, love to begin teaching of reading with a language experience approach. And that mm-hmm. is simply where the teacher writes down an experience one of the children had or lets each of them contribute to their holiday experience. Oh, we had a Christmas tree, oh we had Hanukkah, oh we and we did and we did candles and you have now four or five sentences on the board, have the whole class choral read it, have the whole class write it down, have the whole class uh uh illustrate it and then little by little you you say, okay, we're going to read it. We can't read that. It's on hard work. Sure you can. And because it's their experience, they will be able to read it and with a good amount of practice. And then you go to another story. And little by little, you have that first book. is a book that is their experiences and mm. their writing. So LEA, language experience, what I could think, I could say, what I could say, I can write or have someone write for me. And what I could write, I could read. A fantastic way of teaching beginning reading. Okay, I have one last question. What's next? I, I've been doing a lot oh. of research lately <laughs> on everything. Um, yeah, you, I'm you finding that I'm listening to my nephews who are in uh, junior high school and high school, and I'm listening to other people talk, and I don't know if kids know how to do research on a research project that in social studies or science. Uh-huh. That, uh-huh. that that was that was one thing that I that I was thinking about. I mean, the other thing is that when I taught sixth grade, I, you know, you get bored easily if you use the reader. So what I did was I asked them to pick three novels, any ones they wanted, and I bought all three novels, and I said, you have to buy one, and we're going to put you, you I'm going to ask you questions about whichever one you, you're reading, which, and it's pretty much the same questions but different. For different novels, in one week it might have been uh, Little Women, the next week it could have been something else, and I loved it, the sixth graders. That mm-hmm. was my second brilliant class that I got and then they put me in first grade. So you have to mm-hmm. tell me what do you want to do next because we have about four minutes. Well, you know, I, the, what I thought of because I kind of anticipated that question um, after doing this for several years with you, I thought what might be interesting and particularly timely is, and, and again, this would be new, brand new for me too because it's something I don't know a lot about, but AI is becoming incredibly yes. popular. And I, I really, I haven't done any reading in terms of 
I, I, I looked at Chad GPT and I just I just can't believe how powerful it is. But I I think something with AI and the future of reading with AI might be a really, really uh timely uh topic. Then I'm gonna have to look at I've been getting um emails from I don't know who for different types of reading programs. And I'll have to go back in my in my in my thing because I get all sorts of things from people that I don't know. Yeah. And they they talk about AI reading, so I have to say I'll look some up. But I'm sure you'll come up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why don't we leave that as a possibility? And as I'm doing some because I I thought of that just yesterday in anticipation of our talk today. But. Um, if uh, if I if after looking at that for a little while I'm, I'm not pleased with what That's I found, that's interesting. Uh, I'll yeah I'll I'll come up I'll come up with two or three others and uh, between now. the two of us we'll uh, we'll finalize it. Okay, so when do you want to do this in my schedule? Well, you you have a very busy schedule. I, I uh, have to let's um let's see, I could do. Uh, I have one on the second of April. Everybody's driving me crazy. No, I don't have one. I have don't have one on April. I don't have one on the ninth. No, I have don't have any on April eighth. Does that work? Or April tenth? Uh, April. What day of the week is that? You'll have to tell me. Monday and when is the Wednesday? Uh, the Wednesday would be that. The tenth. Yeah. Okay. Let me put that in. And my schedule, so I don't give it to a person with a book. Okay, we got plenty, it. Plenty, plenty of time to look at AI and see if there's something uh, uh, substantive that I could talk about uh, in terms of how it's, impact, it's going to impact on uh, the future of reading. Uh, uh, it could be very interesting. It, it could be very much limited by my own uh, acumen, but we'll see how that goes. That sounds great. Well, everybody... Join me tomorrow for Dr. Uh, for Dr. Dennis Palumbo. He just emailed me and said, don't worry, I'm ready. Don't worry, Dennis, I've got the questions too. Thank you so much. Stay healthy. Everybody, have a great day, and bye. Bye-bye.